Hello, my name is Brandon Boat, and you're listening to the Theater of Public Policy podcast, which presents the interviews from our live shows in Minneapolis. Our guest today is Paul Douglas, who has over 40 years of broadcast television and radio experience, in addition to a wide background in all sorts of things, whether whether it's business-related or even working on movies. Our media sponsor this season is MinPost, which provides reader-supported news and analysis. You can read local, state, and national news at MinPost.com. Wait, 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 wait. You get beer, I get water. I offered, uh, do you want a Finnegan? No, 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 it's, it's fine, it's fine. It? When Mayor Fry was on the show, he literally just took my beer and drank really? it. So you would not be the first guest. Double-fisted? Just, just Yeah, just, you gotta no, keep no, no. hydrated. I'm, I'm good with the water. Okay. For now. Thank you, well, we'll see how this goes. So, um, so thank you so much for being here. We're very excited it's to have pleasure. you. It's my um, pleasure. So... It's almost hard to know where to start, but let's just start sort of with you and the fact that you've been doing um, the the weather and talking about it. And I'm curious if, you know, looking back on your career, once upon a time you were doing sort of, I'm going to report the weather this evening. Now people look to you and you're like, oh, you're, you're going to come on a show and talk about climate change. And you, as I briefly referenced, have uh, been behind different technologies that are used in weather reporting. And uh, downstairs we were even talking about that you do consulting for folks who are wondering what will kind of climate impacts be for or something like architecture in 20 years or for business mm-hmm. prospects. and So I, did this just happen over time, or were you like a young, wide-eyed, like, I'm going to blow up this whole weather thing and be like the greatest weatherman on Earth and just own this ship? <laughs> it's just uh, starting. Ship? Yeah, ship. ship okay. Ship. Um, it's, a, it's a family show. I... Uh, I had my hands full just trying to predict the weather. Yeah. But I've always had a business on the side uh, since I was in college and loved the challenge of trying to predict the weather. Trying to communicate the weather is as big a challenge as actually trying to figure out what's going to happen tomorrow. I never set out to talk about climate change. I had my hands full. But, you know, as as a businessman, if you ignore data that makes you uncomfortable... You go out of business. And so I started noticing late 90s, early 2000s that it seemed like the weather was playing out of tune. Sorry, Dennis. And, and at first I thought I was hallucinating. You know, you thought you were just every single day you were hallucinating I, looking at the news. Standing, like it can't possibly be snowing in June. What? Standing too close to the Doppler. No, I thought, you know, maybe... <laughs> I tried adjusting my meds. Uh, that didn't work. And, uh, Usually you should have a doctor do that I for should, you. But, I um, should, I should. I found a good one on the internet. It's good, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a good website, Dr. Feelgood. Um, um, so uh, it was the, over the span of many years, it was not an overnight epiphany, and... It had nothing to do with Al Gore. I was talking about this late 90s, early 2000s, trying to connect the dots. It dawned on me over the span of years, Tane, that climate theory had become a meteorological reality. Not every day, not every week, but the patterns were different. I noticed shifts in the patterns. When it rained, it rained harder. The winters were increasingly erratic. We couldn't count on snow. In Minnesota? 
you know, I had snowmobiles calling, begging me, you know, where can I go to take out my sled in Minnesota? They would call you for that? They would like, call, they would email, they would FedEx. Where is yeah. there snow right now? Yeah, yeah. What would you say? People are needy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> So this is a piece I did want to ask you about because one of the questions I actually love asking folks on the show, and particularly a lot of folks in political space, which you're not explicitly, but still it it speaks to that, is a time when you changed your mind or you realized you were uh, something you had thought previously was not right. And that is a big part of this story for you from what I've read. Sure. I I was skeptical, and we all come from a point of skepticism, right? What do, you, what do you mean? We can influence the weather? Are you nuts? Have you hit your head? Repeatedly. Um, but uh, you, uh, again, over the span of the 80s and 90s, I was skeptical. When James Hansen was testifying before Congress in 88, talking about global warming, I scratched my head and I said, convince me. And then I started just looking at the data. And, but it wasn't until the late 90s, early 2000s but again, everybody should be skeptical about everything. In a day and age of, of demagogues and hackers and malware, you should be skeptical. But science is organized skepticism. The biggest skeptics on the planet are scientists. So was I, I know you said there wasn't an epiphany, but even if it was a process for you over time, was there a moment when you know you you came into the weather lab and you were like, "All right, everyone, that climate thing is really happening." Flag in the ground. You know, I don't think there was a single day or even a single event. I think it was the frequency of flooding. Just you know, again, how many times do you have to get hit over the head by a soggy two by four before you pay attention and say? You know, maybe this is not a fluke, an aberration. Maybe this is a trend. So, again, it, it's the incidence of these mega rainfall events, these biblical rains, which we are getting with greater frequency. Either it's the mother of all coincidence or something's going on. So that w- uh, talk to us then about, again, I, I don't think probably for a lot of our audience we, we need to spend time going through things about climate change is real. But still, uh, I do want to just ask, like, when you are looking at, like, the things that are happening, when you were saying climate translated into meteorological phenomenon, like, what are the things that you sort of, like, look at and are ticking off and are, are happening? Floods are one. Sure. I mean, there are multiple strands of evidence, and that's the thing. It, this doesn't hinge on any one thing. Uh, what's happening in the Arctic, uh, the rapid loss of sea ice in the Arctic, Greenland melting, Antarctic melting, uh, the oceans are more acidic, sea level is rising. Um, There's more moisture in the air. Every degree that you warm things up, the amount of water vapor goes up by 4%. There's more fuel, so when it rains, rains that would have occurred naturally, you know, increasingly we are juicing many of these storms. Last year, Hurricane Harvey in Texas, it sat there for four days, 65 inches of rain. Typical hurricane is 15, 20 inches. The hurricanes, especially in the Pacific, are becoming more extreme. America has had 25 separate 500-year floods since 2010. Yes. 25 separate 500-year floods. And how many 500-year floods do we normally have in 25 years? (laughs) 
I'm not a statistician, but... You know, again, there's so many of these kinds of holy cow moments. Uh, The incidence and frequency of wildfires in the West. You know, what's happening in California more years than not. So, again, I tell people the world isn't ending. It's warming. That will have some benefits. Minnesota will be in much better shape than much of the nation. Well, can you... Is it possible in any way to look at a place like Minnesota in, in some sort of isolation and say, these are the things that we'll expect to see here, and we can actually try and predict some of that sure. out? Yeah. So what are the things... How will Minnesota be great um, uh, at once climate change sinks Miami? I tell people, thinking of moving to Fort Myers or Naples or Siesta Key or any of those gorgeous spots. I say, don't buy anything right on the beach. (laughs) Buy something five blocks inland and be patient. You'll get your waterfront. And they look at me and I say, no, it's... Yeah, my parents live in South Florida. They're three miles in, so I probably have to wait a while. But eventually, I just, you know... Yeah, that, that whole area of South Florida, the highest elevation is six feet. Right. I mean, where do you go? I live in Hollywood Hills, and we are about four feet above sea level in the hills. So <laughs> it's, it's going to be tough. You know, yeah. Not every coastal area, but specific coastal areas where you have water rising and land subsidence. The, the land is sinking. I've heard some folks actually talk about Minnesota should be planning for a mass in migration of people that, you know, we're going to be sort of like a sweet spot that isn't sunk, and so we should have a lot of homes for those, like, retired Floridians that come back. Um, I picture a tent city. (laughs) Mom and Dad won't live in a tent again. Um, (laughs) Again? It's fun for a few nights, and then Mm. it's not fun. But, um, you know, I, I think our winters, I mean, think about it. Our identity is tied up in the weather, and specifically our forbidding winters. You know, people think of Minnesota and the opening credits of Fargo come to mind. You know, just the white expanse as far as the eye can mm-hmm. see. Kind of like, you know, two weeks ago. Um, <laughs> and, and I think, as a rule, the winters won't be as savage. We're already seeing that. It used to get down to 20, 25 below in the cities. Now it's a big deal if it gets down to 10 below. You know, that, that's a crisis. Oh, my God, it's 10 below. So the winters are not as cold as they were for your parents and grandparents. And I think that trend is going to continue. I think that will make it easier for companies to lure people here mm. because it, we're going to lose some of that mojo, some of that extreme winter weather mojo, you know, keeping the riffraff out. So the riffraff's uh, coming back. This riffraff's that's the downside of climate change for us. Oh. There's Mark. a riffraff watch. Um So uh I one of the, so you're talking right now about this and we're talking about a lot of scientific data points and uh weather phenomena and whatnot, which is often how these conversations happen. But one of the things I'm very interested in talking to you about is that you go and speak to a lot of um, conservative groups, and you yourself are a Christian, and so you speak to Christian groups. And uh, it's not that you're um, ignoring the science, but that you're thinking about how do you talk about these things in a, in a potentially, you know, framing it differently. So what? Well, let's do this. Let's just pretend you're at one of those things. Like, we're just, you know, we're at, like, a big uh, evangelical church, and, you know, you go ahead, and I don't know, Dennis, do you want to, like, just 
No. Okay. So I, I was just trying to set Dennis up to just. Okay. Wow. Okay. Thank you, Dennis. You know, I, I have faith in absolute. Science is never settled. Yeah. A new observation, a new hypothesis, you kind of zig and zag towards relative truth. We sort of, with science, you, you peel away at an infinite onion. You never reach solid bedrock. I believe in absolutes. I believe in God. Um, and I don't think faith and science are mutually exclusive. You know, in good, Gen- good, yeah. yeah. In in Genesis, the Bible is pretty explicit. We were made in God's image. He gave us big, beautiful brains, the ability to think logically, to use reason. He probably wants us to use those big, beautiful brains we we've been we've been given. And science is a tool, right? We, uh, it's a toolbox, and we have lots of tools in that toolbox. I do not worship the toolbox, but. That doesn't mean we ignore our brains and logic and data and evidence. I tell people, look, acknowledging climate change does not make you liberal. How does that go over? It makes you literate. It makes you scientifically literate. It means you prefer evidence and data and facts over spin and political talking points and manufactured misinformation. It'll shock you to know that the reason there's so much pushback and misinformation, the reason why this has become a political football, there's a lot of money on the line. Trillions and trillions of dollars. So uh, this is a really interesting piece to me. So uh, one of the quotes that I, I was we read, uh, I read before you came out. Somebody talked about Paul Douglas was the meteorologist who made it okay for um, TV weather people to talk about climate change. And I'm wondering, first of all, well, I take credit, take credit where you can. Uh, but what I'm wondering. Hey, well, can you just talk about why was it not okay, maybe once upon a time, and, and what is that still, uh, why, why was that sort of a, a pivotal thing? Well, again, uh, I'm a meteorologist. I'm, I'm versed in some science, and I, I just, it would have been easier, Tane, it would have been more popular, I think, to just ignore the topic. Yeah. Because think, I mean, television news is a popularity contest. Every night people vote with their remote controls. And you know, you know, at least 10, 20 years ago, if you talk about climate change, if you try to connect the dots, well, why is it raining harder? Well, why are we seeing rain and ice in January with greater frequency? Why is the growing season getting longer? Why are we seeing new pests, new plants that weren't here 40 years ago. You know if you bring that up on the air, you're going to piss off 30% of your audience. And the news directors have a problem with that. Um, so did you actually have to go to your news director and be like, I'm going to talk sure, about this? Sure, And And you know what? At CCO TV, Shelby was a skeptic when I got there. And I showed him the science and, you know, going to trusted sources... You know, not Uncle Earl, who sent you a, a post, um, but there are trusted sources that you can go to. Um, but yeah, again, and it's okay to be skeptical. We all 
come at this and have our aha moments at different times. It's okay to change your mind. I ask people, you know, do you have an open mind? And most people say, yes, of course I have an have open mind. Have you met someone who's like, no, <laughs> just... You'd be Whoa. amazed. Yeah. You'd be amazed. Most people say they have an open mind, but they, they put up barriers, right? And they let in information that adheres to their worldview and their politics. See, this, but this is a piece that's fascinating to me because, yes, like the, especially maybe in the nightly local newscast, you know, talking about something controversial is inherently, um, you know, it's going to maybe turn folks off. Right now, though, I feel like a lot of our media is just inherently built on, we're going to make this a fight. Like, whatever it is, it's going to be a sure, fight on two sides. Food fights are good for ratings. Food fights are good for ratings. Yeah. And so is that sort of when you are looking at climate um, climate science and whatnot, is that sort of where we are now where we've gotten past, well, we can't talk about it at all, and so now we're like, well, we're going to treat it sort of like it's a debate, which we actually see still on local news and things right. like that. And, and we shouldn't be debating science, but I think we've shifted from it's not happening to it's happening, but maybe it's natural, or it's happening and maybe it won't be that bad. And then we'll shift again within five years to okay, it's happening, and it may be bad, but there's nothing we can do about it. Is that is I mean? Is so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Future generations are going to look back and shake their heads in wonder, you know, that that so many people were in perpetual denial. And uh, I think we have an obligation to our kids and their kids to do things that may not necessarily be popular. You know, life is not a popularity contest. Sometimes. Wait, what? <laughs> okay, life is a popularity contest, Tane. But sometimes you do you have to do, you have to do what's right, right? What you think is right and and hope that you can reach enough people of goodwill and that people do in fact keep an open mind. I tell people, look, you don't believe the climate scientists, thousands of them worldwide saying pretty much the same thing, 99% of publishing atmospheric scientists acknowledge it's happening. What about happening? the unpublishing ones, though? I mean, sir, the ones who just have a theory and they drive a cab, and sure, they'll tell you. You're entitled to your... You have the freedom to be stupid. Thank you. Um, so let's talk about some of those solutions, because you're a very, you know, right... It is easy. I, I think that... Forgive me, but the, one of the things I think that has been challenging about the climate change conversation for a long time is that so much of it is doom and gloom a lot yeah, yeah, of times. Yeah, and yeah people shut down. People yeah. shut down. They don't want to hear gloom and doom. We're all juggling 50 things. Yeah. You're so telling me i got to worry about this? You talk about solutions, though, yeah. uh, and particularly, actually, well, there are sort of public solutions, but you also talk a lot about private, like, business solutions to some of these things. Or I think a lot of conservatives, um, not all, but many conservatives, their attitude is, oh, my God, if this is real, if what you're saying is true... The only solution is more government. And that's anathema to conservatism. But I also think that, and call me crazy. Okay. <laughs> I'm waiting. Conservatives should probably conserve. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, is that a stretch? I, I, I just, 
And, and the whole clean energy revolution, which is here, it's not possible. It's already here. Right. What I worry about is the more that we debate the science and turn this into a political litmus test for conservatism, the bigger head start we're giving China and Finland and Israel, places where they don't debate the science, where they're going full tilt, clean, renewable energy. Right. We can have everything we want. We don't have to suffer. Our lifestyles won't suffer. Everything you want but with a lighter footprint on God's creation. I mean, although all of those places that you mentioned are much, they while it is private sector maybe developing some of those things, it's very government like pushing a lot of that. You know, in China, it's we are going, you know, the government saying we are going to be renewable energy. China knows they have a problem. Yeah. I was just there and... and I mean, it's it, it's unbelievable how bad the air is, yeah. and they're worried. You know, if if enough of the population thinks that they're being poisoned, so this is so the the because the private sector piece though is fascinating to me because I've often thought there's such a good case to make to you know a chamber of commerce or a business friendly group to say this is a growth market, right? Like you know. Put a tenth of the you know investment into this that we've put into something like oil and right. gas for a long time, and it will grow. And yet, it there does seem to be a resistance. So what what is that like? When you're if you were if we were just sitting here and you know you were talking to like a chamber of commerce person, what is the response that you get? That's the skepticism or the oh uh, yeah, I get what you're saying, Paul, but Upton Sinclair said it's hard to get a man to believe something when his salary depends on his not believing. And that just rings true. Again, trillions of dollars on the line. Fossil fuel industry is in the process of being disrupted, like every other business on the planet. My business, the media business, is being grotesquely disrupted, right? I mean... That's a hot, another show, but yes, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, think of think of all the options we have. Show me a safe gig. Nobody has a safe gig. And again, the fossil fuel industry is trying to push this day of reckoning back as much as possible. So a little bit of misinformation, a little confusion. And again, they've been funding uh, a lot of these candidates and, uh, you know, basically telling these candidates what to think, and how to vote. And it's just not sustainable. So I should say, we're going to bring our guest back in the second half of the show uh, to answer your questions. But one last one before we take a break and turn it over to the cast, which is just let's talk about you know some of those solutions and where they, they will actually come from or hopefully will come from and, and are maybe starting to come from. Like, What are the things that you're looking at and you're like, yeah, this is, this is giving me hope. This is where we're, you know, should, and we're maybe doing 50% now. If we were doing 75 or 100%, I would feel good. Uh, we're not going to be saved by a bureaucrat in Washington. We're going to be saved by thousands of new companies, startups, creating new ways to keep the lights on and give us everything we want. We want more energy, we want to pay less, and we want fewer unpleasant side effects. And all those things are converging. Enough sunlight reaches the Earth in one hour, one hour to power all of the world's economies for a year. There's free energy. Where? God. Where is that sun? I need it. I, was, I just lived through Minnesota winter, and I hadn't seen it, so... Um you know, and I drove over here. I have I have a Tesla, and I love it. I traded in two gas-powered pigs 
on a Tesla Model S in 2013, and it feels like I'm driving for free. Uh, there's no maintenance. They say, Paul, you can bring it in once a year. We'll look at the tires. There's 150 moving that's not, parts. It's a, that's a very honest mechanic that you have. As <laughs> it's a different model. They don't make their money off you know, maintaining yeah. the vehicles. They take some, some profit up front, but there's an ROI. And when I talk, especially to conservative audiences, I can see their eyes glazing over when I talk about, not all of them, but some of them, you know, are skeptical. But when I get to clean energy and local solutions, decentralized, come off the grid, local, 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 competition, free market solutions, and saving I feel like you're just money. sort of like doing like right of center bingo right now. Like, yeah, like Chamber of Commerce is like, all right, drink. He said free market. Um, no, and I, and I, really, I really believe that. We, we don't need a bigger EPA. I mean, it would be nice. I, th I think the EPA should be, you know, safeguarding our, our water and our air and our land. Um, I don't think clean air, clean water, or a stable climate is a perk reserved for the 1%, I think it's, it's a right. And we sh somebody should be protecting the common good. So that said, the solutions will come from the marketplace. How do we create 50 more Teslas? It's happening. I mean, solar, not only solar panels, but solar shingles, solar paint. There's free energy hitting your, your yard. Why on earth wouldn't you take advantage of the free energy hitting your yard if it makes you more sustainable, it takes you off the grid, next time a severe storm comes through and knocks out the power, you still have your lights on? And, and this, I think at the end of the day, Tane, our frugality will save us. I have yet to meet anybody who doesn't want to save money. I don't care if you're left, right, in the middle, we all love to save money, and I think at the end of the day, our frugality and the fact that young people, as a rule, are less cynical, less skeptical, their eyes are wide open, because they're the ones that are going to have to clean up the mess and come up with viable solutions, no matter what an irritated Mother Nature throws at us. On the <laughs> it was just a big, deep sigh, but yes, a big round of applause. Paul Douglas, everybody. We're going to take a seat in the audience. All right, if you have a question, please raise your hand and I will race towards you in a non-threatening manner with the YouTube. The two of you are each pointing at each other. Well, ah. I, okay. You have a full beer, but he doesn't have any more water. Oh, that's true. Can we get a, a more uh, water? Actually, I need a beer. Yes, he needs a beer at this point, yeah. yeah. What, do you, what do you drink? Okay? I'm not just taking orders up here. Uh, all right. Sure, I'd love a Finnegan's. Great. The Who sponsor, says no so. to Finnegan's? Nobody. Um, okay. Now, um, non... Oh, she really does. Okay. okay. Hi. Did I come to your elementary school? Yes. In Minnetonka? Get out. Did I yes. really? Yes. Yes. When my son... So I'm only like, I mean, I'm the mom. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I wow. think you did. I'm quite certain you did. 
Well, you've changed, but do it's do good do to do see do you do again. Do. Yes. Well, I'm the mom of the kids that you came to visit because I okay, am Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> um, question, yes. All the holes that are popping up like the cars are falling into in the ground, is that related to climate change or um, the do you know what holes? I mean? Yeah. Yeah, the sinkholes. Uh, that's probably above my pay grade. Uh, some of it may just be underground aquifers, you know, as we continue to pump water out. Drinking water irrigation, uh, you create pockets of air where there was water, and so you change the underground geology. And so I think that may be part of it. There may be a climate component, but I don't think that's a direct line. I think it's more a function of, of the aquifers and taking water out, I think. Sinkholes. Okay, good. Uh, last few summers, last three or four years, biking. It always seems windier to me. I've gone online and and I went to the Google to see if indeed <laughs> there's research that says climate change is causing it to be windier in Minnesota, and it just says lots of people think so, but there's no research. I have is not. There? I have not seen any evidence yet. Wow! Not, two not, swings, two misses so far. Not I'm to say not to say there won't be a connection, but um, again. A lot of the patterns are shifting northward as it warms. Uh, systems that our weather, if trends continue, will be more like Missouri and Indiana. And so, but I haven't seen anything definitive that says, yes, it's getting windier. No, it's not getting windier. Summers are more humid. No question about that. We're Can seeing you? more days with dew points in the 70s and even the 80s. I mean, can you just say maybe a, a word or two about I, – I think that, you know, once upon a time we just said global warming, and that made sense, I think, to some folks because it was like more carbon dioxide, more heat gets trapped, so things just get warmer. We're talking about climate change because, as we've sort of alluded to, there's a lot of different phenomena that can happen. But can you just – why uh, – in, in 10 seconds or less, why uh, – are there all these different phenomena? Like, what are some of the things that feed that? I'm cold today, Tane. How can the how can it be warming if I'm cold exactly, today? Yeah. The warming is not uniform, right? Uh, yes, the entire planet continues to warm, but we're still going to have cold fronts. God willing, it's still going to snow. If it stops snowing, if we stop getting cold fronts out of Canada the planet will have much bigger problems. And then it shifted to climate change, but it's like, well, Paul, the climate has always changed. We've had ice ages, you know, which is true. But, oh, God bless you. Thank you. I'm predicting a shower of beer. Uh, I can predict that with total accuracy. Um... So it's, it's a semantics challenge. Yeah. I think we should change it again to something a little more palatable. Do you like have any ideas? Peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> peanut butter is the, uh, the threat. Jelly are the solutions, which are going to make us better and stronger and, and wealthier over the long haul. So I don't know. I, you know, I... I refer to it as increased climate volatility resulting in more weather disruption, which doesn't just fall from the tongue, right? That's a mouthful, but that's what we're seeing. 
there's more energy in the system reducing uh, the atmosphere. And storms that would have occurred anyway now have a greater potential to drop more rain, even more snow. Hmm. So we're seeing, we're basically supersizing our weather. And we're seeing this globally. It's not just here in Minnesota. It's not just in the U.S. Okay, I got a batch of hands. I was just curious, you talked a little about how uh, you've spoken to you know, different churches or conservative groups. Just kind of curious how uh, you felt your message has been received and then like how your message has changed over time as a result of that. I think, you know, whenever you go out, rule number one is remember your audience, right? So frame the message in a way that you hope will be relevant. Um, Many people respond to science and data. It's funny, you know, if, if, uh, if 97% of aviation experts told me not to fly a specific airline, I'd, I'd take the bus. <laughs> but, and, and people don't question their pilots. They don't question their engineers. They don't question their plumbers. They don't question their doctors who all use science. Right to make a diagnosis and then to come up with a solution. But when it comes to climate, because we all experience weather, somehow that makes us experts. And I tell people, you, you can't look out your window and make global long-term assumptions for the, for the planet. Um, and so when you are tailor or when you are thinking about these different audiences, what how is it different, or what have you found maybe resonates with a, a conservative audience, a, you know, a, a faith-based audience, X, Y, Z? I, th I think, again, talking about my faith and talking about, I mean, there are a lot of climate scientists who have faith in something in addition to science, right? I don't worship the scientific method, but that means, that doesn't mean I, I should ignore the scientists who are telling us we have a, we have a problem. I th when we ignore scientists, bad things often result. So, but, but again, framing this in a way to your question, talking about their jobs, talking about their homes, showing how the climate has already changed in the last 30 years, talking about their kids. At the end of the day, this isn't about polar bears. This is about your kids and their kids. Because things that happen over there, 300 million people live within three feet of sea level. For them, this isn't just, you know, a minor problem. They're going to have to move. So, and all those things that happen over there have a way of blowing back on the United States. And this is why most, not all, but most in the military take it seriously. I have a son in the Navy, and they're putting up solar because they want to be resilient. They don't want to be dependent on the oil supply lines, right? They want total resiliency, self-sufficiency. And they're also retrofitting all the ports worldwide. They know they have a problem. They can measure the water rising. It's not a climate model. They, and so they know they have to take action. But back to your question, I mean, trying to make it relevant and not dismissing people's faith you know, again, the two are not, in my humble estimation, mutually exclusive. You can have faith in absolutes, 
And every religion, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, teaches stewardship and a reverence for God's creation. We are called to be stewards. We don't own anything. We are leasing everything. And we have, I, I, I think, a, a holy obligation to pass things on because our grandkids and their kids, they're going to be pissed. They're gonna, and they're going to ask at some point, what did you know when, what did you do? Did you sit on your hands? Did you chalk it up to conspiracy theories? Or were you part of the solution? I want to be part of the solution. Okay, I've got a, yes, I've got a batch of hands. Um, so... Thank you. Um, I'm curious what kinds of projects your company is involved in or cool things are you doing with your company? Sure. Uh, thank you for asking. I uh, Two companies, one called Eris Weather, which is in the data business. It's a machine revenue business. We basically aggregate raw weather data from a lot of sources, including NOAA, but not limited to the National Weather Service. Uh, data from the entire planet. Um, every country has their own weather service, so it's like you're stitching together this puzzle and we take data and provide APIs, which are basically data streams that have been simplified and customized for specific businesses. So companies like NOAA and uh, Boeing is a client. Netflix is a customer. They target really. They target suggestions for shows that you might like to watch based on the weather for your zip code. Wow. Capital One is a client so that when you when a representative at Capital One takes a call they know exactly what the weather is for the person who's calling in so they can chit chat about the weather and you know try to make the call as appealing as possible is it nothing real goodness uh yeah we also have a, a company in California that only turns on sprinklers after they've looked at past weather, current weather, soil moisture, and the forecast, why on earth would you waste water if there's a storm coming in off the Pacific? Uh, trucking companies, they want to optimize their routes. You know, if there's snow, lake effect snow, maybe you take a southern route, keep the rig, keep the 18-wheelers moving. So it's amazing to me all the different use cases. I also have another company uh, called Predictix, and we... We actually employ meteorologists. We have studios. We do media updates, you know, 30-second, three-minute videos. We launched a weather channel called Weather Nation back in 2011 because there was only one weather channel which frequently did not run weather. And so we sensed an opportunity. <laughs> Bit of an oxymoron, right? My favorite, they, they ran a lot of syndicated shows, and one of them was Fat Guys in the Woods. Do you like that show? I didn't yeah, fat guys in the woods. So we actually displaced the Weather Channel from DirecTV, and it, it made some waves. But again, um, we also do briefings for companies, uh, Fortune 500 companies that have facilities. They don't like to be surprised if there's a threat of flooding or tornadoes or a hurricane, excessive heat. Lifetime uh, Fitness is a client. They do a lot of outdoor events, marathons, triathlons. Um, they want to know if there's a risk of lightning or heat exhaustion. 
So there's a way of, of personalizing weather in a way that an app on a phone can't do. People think, I've got 10 apps on my phone, I'm covered. For consumers, yeah. But for companies that have to make decisions and try to protect their staff, protect consumers, make smart decisions, um, there's still an opportunity there. So that is fascinating. Okay, Dennis has a question quickly, and I, I, I'm going to have to... Yeah, yeah. Uh, Weather Nation appeared off of Comcast this year. Where, where, why and where can you find it? Let's see. Comcast is a part owner of... What's that channel? Yeah. The Weather Channel? Um <laughs> They're still on DirecTV. They're on Dish. Um, there is, yeah. If you go to WeatherNationTV.com. Yep. And I know on Roku, if you have, if you go over the top with Roku or Apple, you can get to it that way too. So give that a shot. Okay. Yeah. We got. We we have a, just a couple minutes, and we have like a thousand hands. So. Couple things. Um, your your thoughts. Your your thoughts about putting a fee on carbon. And then maybe touch on the oceans a little bit more with the warming and the acidification. Sure. Um, two great questions. I mean, it's a pretty good gig. We've privatized profits and socialized costs when it comes to carbon, right? It's a good gig if you can get away with it. And, and people have gotten away with it for a long time. I think, you know, whether it's a carbon tax, don't call it a tax call it a fee. I yes, mean, we had a former governor who figured that out. Yeah, so... Um. And I, th I think fee and dividend makes a lot of sense. You know, put a price on carbon, uh, put a tax, put a fee on something you want less of, and then let the market react and rebate. I mean, send a check to every citizen in the United States. You know, maybe your energy costs will initially go up and that check that you get, the dividend will help to pay for that but over time you clean up the grid and here's the thing, the grid is already getting cleaner and that's just pure economics solar and wind is now consistently cheaper take away all subsidies and by the way fossil fuels have gotten subsidies for, for well over a century so that whole argument, wow there wouldn't be solar there wouldn't be wind if it wasn't for subsidies it's a little disingenuous. I think, I think fee and dividend makes sense. And you know where things are starting to change? The places where people are sensing climate change every day, firsthand, places like South Florida, you know, Texas, coastal Louisiana. We have climate refugees already in Louisiana and Alaska. They've already had to move people. So... It's going to happen, and I'm still hoping that we can – the one thing we can agree on is clean energy. You know, To me, that's sort of a bridge between left and right. Even if, if you're in perpetual denial about the science and you don't want to agree that the climate is changing, do you like to save money? And once you show people – how it's already happening. The revolution is already here. We just need to turn up the dial and go faster. Because the question isn't, will the warming continue? There's already another degree or two of warming in the pipeline. Two or three degrees, we adapt. It's going to be unpleasant. There will be dislocation and disruption. And the rest of the world is going to be in much bigger problems. 
8 degrees of warming, 10 degrees of warming, we're living on a different planet. And that's why scientists are so concerned. 800,000 years of CO2 records, we've never had CO2 this high. We just passed 410 parts per million. And people say, well, parts per million, Paul, that's nothing. My God, they measure arsenic in parts per billion. Doesn't take too many parts per billion of arsenic for you to have a bad day. <laughs> There's an optimal range. There's an optimal range of arsenic. Um, so this is my last, uh, we're, we're just about out of time, but I do like to end, again, thinking back to solutions. And a lot of the solutions that we've sort of talked about are big broad things which are important but you know folks here tonight who are going to walk out of this theater and think about well yes i I buy them what what is it that they should be doing or is there anything that maybe folks don't immediately think of that is important or the the thing that they should be really focused on in this space it's a continuum and and i'm no paragon of, of green energy i mean i'm still we build a new house. It's pre-wired for solar shingles. So we hope as soon as they come out with a style that my wife, who's an architect, can bless, uh, we are going to put solar shingles on our roof. Um, but I think some of it is just common sense. When you think about your carbon footprint, you know, not telling you not to buy that SUV, but maybe buy an SUV that's a hybrid, buy an SUV that gets better mileage, Again, you're going to save money. Uh, Energy Star appliances, you know, as you upgrade appliances, try to be, you know, frugal when it comes to the need for additional energy. That said, carbon offsets. If you fly, and, uh, you know, flying does produce additional CO2, you can buy carbon offsets. Planting trees, you know, some of the simple things. Farmers get it. Farmers have been trying to live sustainably for for hundreds of years. I think the most important thing you can do is vote for people at a local, state, and national level who have a respect for science and scientists. So, and I say that wherever I go, and I mean it. You know, again, you can have faith, and you can still acknowledge science. It's not a pick or choose. You can be a politician and still be intelligent. Yeah. But, but again, interesting theory. Well, we'll test and it out sometime. John McCain. God bless John McCain. Uh, back in 2007, I had dinner with, with Senator McCain. We were welcoming back Iraqi war vets, Tane. And I sat at his table. I introduced him. And I sat at his table and I challenged him. I said, Senator McCain, is it possible this is all just a fluke, this whole climate change thing? And he looked at me and he rolled his eyes and he said, Paul, I just got back from a trip to the Yukon. A village elder presented me with something that had melted out of the ice that had been in the permafrost for 4,000 years. He goes, I see the changes in my home state of Arizona. And he said, it's happening. So how we got from there to here, where it's now a political football, it's not sustainable, and it won't last, and the pendulum will swing in the other direction, and common sense will prevail. So I'm optimistic. 
But the most important thing you can do is get involved. And if this is something that you are genuinely interested in, concerned about for your kids and their kids, talk to your friends. Talk to your network. Keep loading up on information from trusted sources. There's plenty of information out there. And be optimistic, right? The gloom and doom, people shut down. Talk about solutions. Lead with solutions. And then backtrack and say, yeah, there's going to be some disruption and dislocation. We're going to have more floods. Winters are going to be a little hinky. But we're going to figure it out. The nation that sent men to the moon, cured polio, invented the Internet, mapped the human genome, we can figure out clean, non-polluting ways to keep the lights on, people employed, and the economy powered up. So at the end of the day, I'm optimistic. I desperately want to... Yes, that's a... a, We're out of time. I desperately want to ask what hinky means, but for right now, just a big round of applause. This amazing Paul Douglas! Thank you for listening. This show was recorded live at the Bryant Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. If you'd like to attend a show in person or even work with us, you can find out more information at our website at www.t2p2.net. This activity was made possible by the voters of Minnesota through a grant from the Metropolitan Regional Arts Council, thanks to a legislative appropriation from the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.